0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: And what we see through everything that happens in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that nobody wants to get ahead of God. They want to be in the circle of God's blessing and they want to wait on the Lord and His providence. Sometimes you only see the tip of the iceberg, but you have no idea what's coming. There is a correlation between your responding to your circumstances obediently, knowing that God is at work. And what happens afterwards? I can see
0: the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry,
1: the answer for all my life. Every dragon will fall
0: chain of the past you've broken into all oh, the fear of the lies we're singing the
1: truth that nothing is impossible with you oh, is impossible.
0: hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith will be taking us through a series on the providence of God, where we'll be making stops in the book of Ruth, in the Psalms, and also in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Ruth. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, we thank you for this day. The opportunity, Lord, to wrap up this study of the book of Ruth and to understand that you are involved in every detail of our life, Lord. The world says that the devil is in the details, Father, but we know that you are. Through your hand of providence, even when we can't see Your presence. Even when we don't know what's going on around us, even when the world confuses and confounds us we know that you are there guiding us with your invisible hand setting up guardrails to keep us on course and also to bless us in ways that we can't imagine. Sometimes in this life, sometimes in the life to come and sometimes in what you do through us for generations We see all this in the book of Ruth, Lord. Help us take encouragement from it Help us to have hope in daily life as we live out our lives and our witness here. Help us to have hope in hellish times as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how did we get here? I feel like we just got, four weeks is probably one of the shortest sermon series I've ever done. But Ruth is four chapters and really each chapter is like uh, an act and a play. So today, we continue to talk about providence and your, our obedience, and the tip of the iceberg. That's what today's message is entitled, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it's part four in our series in the study of Ruth. And as we continue our discussion of providence, God's intimate care in every detail of our lives for his people and bringing about his kingdom, we want to talk again about providence's connection or correlation with our obedience. I cannot emphasize enough the incalculable worth and results of your obedience to God's will, found in his word, as you live out your lives, also guided by your providence, his providence, I'm sorry. God will use your obedience to accomplish great things. You know, in your company, you may not be the rising star And you may be invisible to the powers that be, but God can use you in incredible ways. You may not be the coolest kid in your class. You may not be the big man or big woman on campus, but God can do great things through your witness by his providence as you respond to him. You may be a stay-at-home mom. You may have left your career and your colleagues may say, "Oh, oh, you know, right? Okay, you're a mother, but you're not working. But you are, because we know that the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world, and your obedience will bear fruit in the providence and sovereignty of God." Or you may be like many in Silicon Valley, where it requires two incomes to raise a family. Well, where both parents have to work and struggle to pay the bills, and yet they educate their children in the things of God and you wonder where it will all end. You sleep little but you disciple your kids and in your fatigue you wonder what now, what next. God in his providence will show you what now and what next and there will be a cause and effect relationship between his providence and your obedience. God tells us that he uses the weak things to confound this world and that has to do with providence. We are, Shakespeare said that every the world's a stage and each must play a part and you have a place on that stage, a corner in the background, in the foreground, or center stage in the unfolding drama of God's redemption. And providence is where he works out all things to will and to work his good pleasure and you have a part to play. And the question is, Will you play that part and produce in harmony with his providence unimaginable results? Because really what we see as we live out our faith in this world, as God brings divine appointments to us, as God brings challenges to us to which we can respond, is what we see is only the tip of an iceberg. We know about icebergs, don't we? The tip of an iceberg, It's you only see that much. But icebergs are giant, giant things. The largest iceberg in recorded history, it has a very, very astounding name, B-15. It had a surface area of 3,250 square miles. It was the size of the country Mauritius. And what you couldn't see was what was beneath the surface. And they, they speculate it could be something like, uh, if you pull that thing out of the water, it could be like between seven and 11,000 square miles, the tip of the iceberg. That's what happens with providence. There, we only see the tip. As we live out things on this earth, we understand there is a spiritual world around us and there are ripple effects that go out from our obedience as we respond obediently to what the world calls the cards that God deals us. So that's providence. Which brings us to Sir Isaac Newton. Providence and Sir Isaac Newton. How does that work? Well, his third law of physics was that for every action, every force in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And in a way, that really talks about providence and our obedience. We respond to providence. And there is this reaction through what we do. And you can think of this, all of this, as we watch the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz play out as God and his providence moves them and gives them opportunities to obey and serve him, sometimes at a great cost, But as we talked about last week, the generations that followed ended up beyond a horizon that they could see that literally blessed you and I with salvation. And sometimes, sometimes things don't seem to go right in this life, even for good people, which brings to mind Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a faithful preacher. He preached in his church for 20 years. He was the greatest theologian that America ever produced, and we produced him before the Revolutionary War. You may know him of a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that triggered the Great Awakening. And after 20 years of labor in his church, they fired him. I mean, they fired him hard and cold. And then, God's providence, no one would fill the pulpit because... Word got out, and once you fired Jonathan Edwards, who in the world would want to come? And so they had to ask him to fill the pulpit, his pulpit supply for three years, which he did because he felt in obedience to God's call. And then later he left to become the missionary to the Mohawk Indians. And then later he was called to become the president of uh, New Jersey College. We know that as Princeton University. But providentially, God took him. He died from a vaccine injury, uh, smallpox vaccine. But people say, well, he died young and things didn't go his way and he suffered great hardship and he left behind a widow and something like 10 children. But you know what? He discipled those children. He poured into those children. He lived out his faith before those children and they saw him dealt great blows. And how did that work out? Well, let's talk about that. Somebody traced the first five generations of Edward's family. What kind of legacy did he leave through obedience? The tip of the iceberg is what we saw in the first great awakening and sinners in the hands of an angry God and a famous theologian. But his children and grandchildren, who were they? One U.S. vice president, the dean of a law school, the dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 college professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, 285 college graduates, and they lost count of how many missionaries. And he has a son, a great, 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 great grandson right now preaching somewhere in Texas. Providence and obedience. Sometimes you only see... The tip of the iceberg, but you have no idea what's coming. There is a correlation between your responding to your circumstances obediently, knowing that God is at work, and what happens afterwards. And we'll see this play out in the conclusion of our study of of Ruth today. You know, we started out in chapter one, Ruth and Naomi. Experience ruin in Moab, you might say, because Elimelech and his sons moved there outside of God's will, and it cost the whole family dearly. Then the second uh, chapter is Ruth and Naomi coming back to Bethlehem, and Ruth says, Don't call me Ruth, call me Mara, because I'm bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly against me. She felt like, and rightly sensed that there was some discipline coming her way. And then chapter three, Boaz meets Ruth and all the great things that come out of that. And then finally in chapter four, as we're studying right now, is the reaction, the response to all that. Because Ruth makes herself vulnerable to Moab in chapter three and says, redeem me. And he could have said no, but he said, I will. But he said, there is a redeemer nearer than me. And if he would redeem you, good. But if not, I will redeem you as the Lord lives And what we see through everything that happens in chapter three and chapter four is that nobody wants to get ahead of God. They want to be in the circle of God's blessing. They want to be submitted to God's prescribed order in his word for a kinsman redeemer. And they want to wait on the Lord and his providence in obedience to his will. And we see the risk and reward that is playing out in real time for them as we look back through the pages of scripture and the pages of history. What I'd like to do today is to organize our talk around three concepts so that you can see the parallels between their lives and their obedience and your life and your obedience and understand that when you obey God, when you respond to God's providence, there is always, always blessing. There is risk and there is always blessing and there is always reward. And so let's start with the first concept. Concept number one is providence, obedience, and the concept of risk. And we see that in verses one through four. Now Boaz, what's happened now is, uh, Ruth has said, redeem me. And he goes, you know, I sure will, if I can. But there is a redeemer closer to you than me. And if he will redeem you, good, but if not, I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Now, he's got to go to that redeemer and say, here it is. And so what we see is that they are doing what is prescribed in Deuteronomy uh, 25 and Leviticus 15 about a kinsman redeemer. God has an established order. And as we have these opportunities to obey, we have to operate within that established order. And that is what Boaz is doing. So providence, obedience, and risk. Verses 1 through 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down. All the elders meet at the gate. That's where all big decisions are made. It's like small claims court and large claims court almost. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he, that redeemer, the redeemer closer than Moab, he turned aside and sat down. And Boaz and he took... 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they're going to have this parlay, this powwow. So they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So here's what happens. Elimelech has died. There are no heirs. There are no children or grandchildren. And so to survive... And to preserve the land that God had given. To preserve all of that. Naomi who's broke and destitute is going to have to sell that land. It's desirable land. And so the kinsman redeemer says, okay, I will redeem it. So here's the risk and the reward. With that land, of course, goes uh, the family and all rights. And also Ruth to take care of Ruth to take care of the, the widows Boaz wanted Ruth to be his wife. And this guy goes, okay, I'll redeem it. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like God's plan, right? It's supposed to have a happy ending. I mean, but as we discussed with obedience, there's always risk. And the risk is, is that all decisions come with risk. When I was in business, we referred to risk-reward equations. Some call it ROI. Same is true in God's economy. As we shall see, Boaz warned Ruth about, the ex- Ruth about the existence of a nearer redeemer in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than me. And if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Ruth would not be happy to hear this guy's going to say, yeah, I'll redeem the land. But risk and reward go hand in hand, particularly in a fallen world. But always remember that when you obey God, it's always good. The outcome is God's. He knows his will. We have to embrace it. That's worship. There is risk, yes. And there is reward that you may not see at first. There's always reward with our obedience. Where do we see the reward? Beginning in verses five and six. And you gotta love the way that Boaz lays this out. Then Boaz says, okay, you're gonna redeem it The day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So what happens is this. They call it leveret marriage. He has to have children. He has to marry Ruth and have children for Elimelech. And then those children inherit Elimelech's estate, but also his estate. And so Boaz reminds him of this. Watch this. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. He doesn't want his heirs to lose their rights. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. You know, God is a God of order, not confusion. And sometimes the world seems confusing, but we have to interpret our world through the lens of Scripture. And there is a prescribed procedure in the Old Testament for a lover at marriage and for a kinsman redeemer and for the uh, uh, descent of the land into the hands of inheritors for an inheritance. And so Boaz reminds this redeemer of the larger picture. And by God's providence, this man goes, I cannot redeem it. I'll impair my own inheritance God honors obedience now Boab was probably disappointed when he heard him say I'll redeem it at first but Boaz knew that God's will is perfect that God reveals his will through they wouldn't have called it the hand of providence they would have called it something like his invisible hand and he is willing to submit to that and in his submission in that hour or moment of maybe concern or maybe even Ruth waiting to hear a word, there's always blessing when you conform your will to God's will. God loves you, and he wants what is best for you. He does not want to make life unnecessarily hard for you, but he wants you to play a role and to bear witness to your trust and faith in him in this unfolding drama of redemption that is redemptive history. And our obedience honors God's established order as revealed in his will and receives from his hand the trials that he sends as we count it all joy. Not that it is easy, but we understand that God is at work and we try to harmonize our trajectory with his trajectory. That's what Boaz is doing here. He obeys. God surprises him by the fact that now he's going to be able to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Yahweh, God wants you to learn to trust him and that's where these trials come from. You know, these trials are part of his providential hand. So what do you learn from this in the here and now right here? I think a couple of things, a number of things. One, you you always take the risk of obedience. You know, God makes his will very clear in his word. He gives you prohibitions. He gives you prescriptions. He gives you principles that you can apply. So when stuff happens, when life happens, you can look at those principles and interpret that situation through the lens of Scripture, and respond to His providence with obedience. That's what Boab did. Moab, did, excuse me. Boaz did. That's what Ruth did. That's what Naomi did. Ruth said, "I'll do whatever you tell me." Naomi said, do as I say. Wait on him, he'll know what to do. That's what's going on here. You always want to take the risk of obedience. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Risk being blessed by God. That's the first piece of application I would give you. And the third, uh, second is, just trust God. Trust God. His ways are perfect. He loves you. He's involved in every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of your existence, and that includes the slings and arrows of this life. He is always there, even when you can't see him. You may only see the tip of the iceberg, but you have no idea of the incalculable effects of your obedience. So risk being blessed by God, trust God, obey God. Concept number two, parallel number two. Providence, obedience, and redemption. Redemption. We see these in uh, verses nine through twelve. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "You are witnesses this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers." And from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses today. I told you that Boaz pictures the, the kinsman redeemer—that is Jesus Christ. He's a picture of Christ here, because here's the thing: by redeeming her, by redeeming her, it costs him. He's going to be happy. to have support her, certainly, and her mother, Naomi. But now, it impairs his rights of inheritance. It's kind of like Christ sacrificing for us he is sacrificing for her so he's going to marry her he's going to perpetuate the name of her husband malon in accordance with what the bible prescribed
0: pastor keith crosby on today's edition of grace to live